Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of Rise Up, the podcast. I'm here with your host, Greg Beast Grenlian, and we are back after a week hiatus. You know, we celebrated the 4th of July, but man, we have a lot of lacrosse to unpack since our time off. But before we get into that, Greg, how you doing? How was your 4th? You spent some time with the fam? Yeah, it was good. We uh, hung out, did a little barbecue here, and then this past weekend, actually, my friend George Azar, who one of my best friends, he actually is the one who got me into lacrosse when I was in high school. Uh, it was birthday. We went to Atlantic City, HQ, little pool party. So it was good to blow off steam, have some fun. How about you? Hell yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was out in Long Island for like a week and a half, played a lot of golf, went to the beach. Weather was great, so no complaints there. I, I Man, I tell you, I have the golf bug bad. I'm playing mm-hmm. – I've always liked playing golf. Um, like with my buddies, but I've never been serious about it in terms of like getting better. And now this, this summer is the first summer I really keep it a handicap, trying to go low, trying to get better. Just, uh, got fitted for some new irons. So I'm, I'm investing in the game right now. So I got the bug. Good for you, man. You know, it's funny. My best friends from home, all obsessed with golf, play it as much as they can watch as much as they can. My neighbors here obsessed with golf go golfing all the time and i'm just in the middle of it all i'm like yo i'll play golf if you guys play golf i'll play best ball but i just don't i can't imagine playing it on a regular basis because i would do what you're doing i would want to get better i would hire a coach i would and i just don't have that kind of time i hear you in the summer in the summer it's good to just get out of the city and play golf on long island or you know wherever new jersey so it's like a nice little getaway. Uh, but, man, it's hot as hell in the city right now. I hope our producers don't get mad that my AC is cranking right now because I need it. <laughs> Dude, I don't. that's one thing I don't miss from the city, man. Stepping out of your apartment and just sweltering concrete insulated heat. I just got cool. back from a private lesson with one of my boys. We were grinding up on the Upper West Side. I biked my ass back down. I'm dripping a little bit. But... Man, if good making some, you know, side money. I know you're always grinding. I'm I'm taking I'm taking a page out of your book trying to get some lessons and get some, you know, walking around money. Actually, next week I'm going out to Montauk um with some of my boys for about a week. Uh, I took, you know, 3 days off of work, so I'll work Monday, Tuesday, then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Hopefully play some golf out there. Montauk Downs, great course, beach, you know, dive bars, have a good time. I love that for you. I'm actually going to be taking the family down to Avalon, New Jersey for a long weekend this weekend. So, hey, summertime, man, you work hard when you're in the office and you try to be where your feet are, as Coach Seth Tierney says. So hang out with the friends, hang out with the family and enjoy it. So that's awesome. Absolutely. And uh, we got to shout out our boy, Scotty Rogers. He's grinding right now, as he always is. Uh, We miss him. Hope he's doing well. He's working an overnight camp in New Jersey right now. Can't can't hop on but he'll be back next week we hope um we have a great episode next week but before we get into even talking about next week's episode like i mentioned we have a ton of lacrosse to talk about no guest again this week you know we feel we felt like we have so much to unpack the guest will be coming back next week we have the sidewall jedi lars keel coming on talking about all things good in the lacrosse world, uh, you know, who sticks he's stringing, you know, how he got into it. He has a really cool story. I uh, got to interact with him a lot when I was playing uh, with the Cannons, the MLL. He was part of the organization. So I'm excited for that interview. But let's go all the way back before the PLL resumed 
And let's talk about how the World Games finished. Because our last episode, we just got finished with the USA-Canada game. We broke down you know, the style of play, the games we saw so far, the teams we liked, uh, maybe some dark horses. And now, you know, it all unfolded. USA took the gold. What did you see? You know, did you think this was similar to your experience in 2018 in Israel? Um, or just new team, new experience? Yeah, I think that overall watching this, it was just a different feel. One, here's what happened in like early, like I guess around 2006 to 2010, right? Those world games. You could see how the Canadian outdoor style gave Team USA a lot of trouble. They had, you know, first they had Jeff Snyder as a face-off specialist completely ruined Team USA in 2006 when they didn't take Paul Canabine and tried to do it with just some midfielders and couldn't get the ball. Then in 2010, you were just like, wow, this, like, this style of outdoor offense is tough because it's box-like. It's very two-man game. It's very, you know, slip picks and hold the ball for a really long time and all that stuff. And you were like, wow, now that Canada has gotten better at the outdoor game, we might be in for some trouble. At the same time now, what I thought we saw this time around, one, was that USA athletes and players are now benefiting from playing box more than ever. And that style of play that the Canadians play doesn't befuddle us anymore. We're so used to playing it that I think Americans are better than ever, especially with shorties when you're going big and, and, and small, on the two-man game. And I think they're on to the slip picks. They're on to that stuff. So, one, that stuck out right away. I thought this was the this USA defense could have played Canada 12 times and won 12 times. Then the other thing that stuck out is we have a serious changing of the guard. You know, you notice that a lot of America's stalwarts weren't there. You know, Paul Rabel was there for years, uh, myself. And then you're starting to see with Canada – they used to have those linchpins that you always feared, right? Wardo was arguably the best international goalie for a long time. Brody Merrill, the greatest LSM of all time. You had uh, Jeff Snyder, one of the greatest international and pro faceoff guys of all time. So these were linchpins for them. John Grant Jr., long time, right? They're all aged out now. And the question is now going to be for Canada – is your next incoming group of Canadian players that are playing at the men's level, are they going to be able to hang with the incoming crop of Americans? When the MVP of the gold medal game is a returning senior in college, that says a lot about Team USA. And look, Brennan O'Neill and that tryout, he could have been one of three college guys that went. That's how much talent is there right now. So... That, those are the two things that really jumped out at me. The third thing that was a lot of fun was this was the best Haudenosaunee team that we've ever seen. And I hope that this continues as well. Seeing them finish third in the world is awesome. What did you notice? So I, the point you made about the changing of the guards I thought was interesting because I feel like this round was the transition. It is like the, the middle of the transition. Yeah. Because you mentioned, you know, guys like yourself, Paul, you know, you know, Hartzell, you know, kind of out. Hartzell. Holman. Yeah. Holman. This was Earhart's out. last one. Holman's out. Jack Kelly, Rob Pinnell, very well might be so, their last ghost. Ex exactly what I was going to get to. You have guys on this roster who are leaders. 
Earhart, um, Pinnell. Trevor. Trevor. Uh, no, Trevor. You think this is going to be Trevor's last? No, no, I'm saying you said leaders. Oh, Trevor yes, went absolutely, from absolutely. baby to five I'm, years I'm talk, later. I'm now he's about, the vet. I'm talking about guys who I think this will be their last go. Gotcha. At, at, so, so like guys like Earhart, um, guys like McCardle Pinnell. probably. Who? who? McCardle probably. McCardle. Which, um, so there's a handful. So I think the next time, which was great that USA got a lot of these young guys in. They got experience. They learned from the older guys who have had the experience, and now they, you know, can take the next crop. So it was a good move, not kind of totally wholesaling. We talk yeah. about over and over and over again. You could make a USA B team that would play USA's A team in the championship, probably in this tournament. You and, could take all the guys who didn't make the final cut and make another team. I don't know if they would have won the gold or not. Here's the thing that really stuck out is since 2006 – you didn't know how the face-offs were going to go because Jeff Snyder was so formidable. And it would generally be, except for 2018, it was usually 50-50. Um, 2018, Trevor and I went back and forth, and we, I think we won like 62%. But this time around, it was the other thing that stuck out, right? This is Donowski and his group's second time around. So they were like, we got who we need in the goal. We got Trevor. Trevor took all but two face-offs, I think. Um, and they were just like, we are going to stick with what works. And when Trevor's dominating the face-off time of possession with no shot clock, good luck. And like I had mentioned before, with the new cadence that World Lacrosse uses, where they have a space between set and whistle, and they set you up straight up and down, it gives Americans a huge advantage. Uh, so there wasn't this desperate feeling of urgency whenever you wouldn't have the ball, because you knew that whenever there's a goal, we could probably get it back. So that was that was the biggest thing, because that... Those face-offs used to be they're so tense. Uh, but Canada battled. They played much better the second time around like we thought they would. And the game was, a, I don't want to say a little bit more up-tempo, but we saw more goals, you know, 10-7. I think the first game was 7-5. So it was good to see a little bit more goals, a little bit more excitement. And you're right. I mean, anytime it's USA-Canada in any sport, it's gonna, you're going to get each other's best. And yeah. you know, it was a great game. USA, I felt like, had the control. Um, when Canada tried to kind of make a move for that inside track, you know, they kept them at arm's length. And what'd you think about them going with blaze for the whole game in the championship? Just hot hand. Yeah, we did something similar in 2014. Jesse Schwartzman was our guy in the gold medal game. And we were just like, this is, this is our guy. Like he's the coaches thought he was playing the most consistent. So they went with him. I think, you know, Blaze is, like, Jack Kelly is playing like old Jack Kelly, which is so cool to see because we love J.K. Blaze Reardon is the best goalie in the world. And he didn't show any signs of not being that throughout the worlds. And like I said, I think for the coaching staff, there's a very good chance that if we, for some reason, were blowing the doors off Canada and we're up by, like, six or seven going into halftime, that you probably would have seen Jack Kelly come in and you would have seen TD take more draws, but it was close. And now also I want to give a shout out. Justin Inacio went toe to toe with Trevor. And then even when TD came in, I think there were three faceoffs. He got the clamp two out of the three very quickly. So, you know, I was, I was waiting. I was getting a couple texts from some PLL coaches about Justin after the world games. Cause I think a lot of people were wondering, is his knee okay? It looks like it is. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's go, you know, talk about the bronze medal game, the Hendershoney versus Australia. They 
won pretty handily, 11 to 6. And they, you know, I thought they played great in their games against, you know, USA and Canada. They really, I think, separated themselves from the pack um, in terms of fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah, there's no doubt these are the top three teams. 100%. 100%. And, you know, they play such a cool brand. It's so funny because we talk about the can- the Canadian brand that they play, the USA brand of lacrosse, and the Henneshoni play their own brand of lacrosse, which is awesome to see, which is great about the World Games. We talk about Japan playing their brand of lacrosse. Yeah. Every single country has a different kind of spin, different flavor, different play style, which is so great to see in this uh, type of setting and such why this is such a great event. And, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and talk about the PLO games, but you saw in the interview after the Whipsnakes game, they asked Zed about, you know, coming back to attack after playing defense all world games. And he's just like, man, I love playing the cross. How great of an answer is that? You know, well, dude just loves know, it. I was actually at Fordham prep today at their day camp. And um, I was asking, answering questions on a Q and a, I was talking about lacrosse and how I don't like calling it the sport of lacrosse. I like calling it the game of lacrosse. And it's interesting because Zed kind of personifies when we watch the Haudenosaunee play, they're playing the game, right? We, the rest of the world, I feel like we play the sport of lacrosse. And for them, it's, it's, the game, it's a game. And for them, it, it means a lot. It's like a religious experience for them. So, you know, Zed is just an absolute darling of the sport. And he doesn't – there's no calculated reason he's saying it. He's saying it because it comes from the heart, and that's what makes him so endearing. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, he went – and look, we all learned. He could play PLL defense. I know. Like, that dude could grab, a, could grab a stick right now and go play D. I know. it. It's, it's so true. And then we had Japan. You know, they won pretty handily against England in the fifth-place game. Japan, we talked about them, right? They pumped England. In that final game. And they are fifth in the world. Good for them. Good for their organization. Good for their country. I actually would love to get back. I would love to get out to Japan. I've been wanting to do it for years. And I know the FOA has a very heavy influence out there. I would love to get out there again for something. I would have loved to have seen. I know. um, Where is it? I'm trying to find it in the stats. You know, Honoshone, that game against Japan, they won 10-5. I would have loved to in the quarterfinals. I would have loved to seen them match up in the in the bronze game. You know the yeah. way the way the bracket was. They met a little early, um, but I think you know Japan. That's where they're trending. They want to be in the conversation with USA, with Canada, with the Haudenosaunee. So, and I think they're they're getting to that place. Um, you know, like I said, they took it to England in the seventh place game. We had Jamaica lose a heartbreaker to Israel, and and Israel's a team that's been around in the world across conversation for a while. Yeah. Jamaica, not so much. So for them to play Israel to overtime in the seven-place game, uh, that was awesome to see. I know Jamaica took it on the chin to Canada um, in the quarterfinals or whatever they met. Um, pretty lopsided game. But to see them play, bounce back and play so competitively against a, a program with, with the likes of guys like Max Siebold, who's played for Israel in the world, in the world games, right? Like this is a team that, you know, consistently has top-tier D1 and professional guys that are part of the organization. And for them to, you know, take it down to the wire OT, great to see for Jamaica. I'm excited to, to watch them grow. We talked about um, that kid, what's his name, Stone, Stone Evans, Stone the high Evans, school guy. Too. We definitely expect to be a guest on this show in the next few weeks for sure. 
I know. Air Force better hold on to him tight because after after the World Games, I'm sure he's getting some calls. He was going up against the likes of guys like you know Graham Graham Hosek, uh, who's you know yeah. renowned as probably a top three defender in the world. And so I think I think I told you this. Stone texted me after he heard the pod when we mentioned him, and he sent me this picture. This is Stone Evans Unreal. at a Lizards game. In about, I think it was 2013 or 2014. So sick. <laughs> Dude, the, that is just the coolest thing, man. Healy, you, Healy, you need cool. to get that out on Instagram and Twitter ASAP. You're, you're sleeping on us. <laughs> well, he sent me the picture. I didn't know if he wanted it to be public or not. But, yeah, it was, it was very cool. I guess it's public now. <laughs> um, but that's, like, the best part of this sport is, especially from a professional standpoint, is how much access. When, you know, when you were playing for the Cannons, the amount of you would you would sign every autograph out of the ten thousand kids that were there and then leave and you know that's this stuff is coming full circle so now I'm a Stone Evans fan after he was a Lizards fan so it's really cool. It's you're absolutely right. It's I would come out of the locker room and not even dressed in for Cannons games and in, in my polo and people would be asking for my autograph and I'd laugh. I'm like you don't want this. <laughs> <laughs> But you're absolutely right. It makes the kids day and the access. You know, they're right outside the locker room. They're able to wait right there and uh, get that FaceTime. And uh, just to round out our conversation with the World Games, I just want to shout out Team Italy. You know, they had a heartbreaker in the quarterfinals. They, they uh, or the round before the quarterfinals, they beat Puerto Rico for the ninth place game. My boy Christian Cuccinello, second in the tournament in points. Um, I know he kind of hung up his professional lacrosse career last year, but he, you know, dusted off the cleats, showed everyone he still has it, and second in the tournament points. So shout out to Cooch, shout out to Italy. Um, that was a fun team to watch. But any any last thoughts on the World Games or the state of world lacrosse going forward? I feel great. I, I think ESPN continues to push the sport forward. I think the platform they've given us is amazing. The fact that. Just five years ago, you probably had to watch a live feed at midnight if you were lucky to watch our gold medal game in Israel. To now, you can turn on Germany versus Czech Republic or something, and it's streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Like That's just so cool. There's more access to international lacrosse than ever. There's more buzz on Twitter. A lot of that has to do with the PLL. A lot of it has to do with ESPN and the job they've done. So just salute to them, and World Lacrosse is doing a phenomenal job of taking this thing forward. So I feel really good about where we're at in the sport. And and we talk about rules in this game, you know, a lot. <laughs> yes. But I would love to see them find a middle ground between sixes and this kind of format we saw in the World Games. If they played, you know, college rules, PLL rules, I think that would make a lot of people happy. 80-second shot clock, man. I know. And sad, I, sad the 82nd shot clock. Totally. And I know, you know, sixes is the path to the Olympics, smaller rosters, smaller budgets. We get it. For, for World Lacrosse, it'd be awesome to see them, you know, tinker with it a little bit just to make it more appetizing for the consumer. But I also maybe think that they are a little, you know, purist and, you know, this is World Lacrosse. We're keeping it this way. I don't know. You probably have way more experience with the kind of the – the committee and how it works than I do, but I would like yeah, to see a little I, bit. Of I think, you know, I don't have that much information on how the committee works with them. Like for instance, I was shocked when they went to the, the 2019 PLL cadence for face-offs, but 
like that was a little tweak, right? That was a tweak that made it so much better to watch. So I think one of those things where, yes, world lacrosse, if you have purists, that's fine. That's cool. But if you really had, if you're real purists, then why are we using, why aren't we using wooden sticks? Right? Like <laughs> the game has to go forward at some point. And if our goal for world lacrosse and international lacrosse is to be more desirable for people to watch, you know, this could be something similar to look at, look at world cup soccer. Every four years, everybody in America who's never seen soccer all of a sudden is an expert in USA soccer, <laughs> right? Yell so, and shoot. Same thing. Let's let's get more people involved. I want people at bars to turn it on and see a shot clock, see fast paced. Yeah, I think that's that's the ticket moving forward. We'll see. I think you're right, and you know that's our recap on the World Games. If you you know agree or disagree with some of our takes, make sure you tweet at us. Um, you know, I'd love to hear some predictions for next time around, whether players on USA or, you know, any other emerging countries um, that are going to make a push for the gold. But with that being said, let's uh, switch gears and talk about the MLL or excuse me, the POLs last weekend in Minneapolis. Um, cool facility uh, out at the Vikings practice facility. Were you, did they? Was that a stop when you were in the POL, or is that uh, newer? No, we didn't go there in 2019. I don't believe I missed. I missed two games, I think, because of my hamstring. I don't think that was one of them, though. So, I mean, just from TV, seems like a super cool facility. I I've been doing a lot of work with uh, Team Unreal, which is out of Minneapolis. So I know lacrosse is growing out there. Yes. Uh, they they have the they have the bug out there. I know I know Scotty was out there recently working camps. So it's a great you know emerging spot for lacrosse. It's a great market for the PLL to go to, and we had some great games. I know we had some players that were on the you know unable to participate list due to you know action in the World Games. You know people getting right after kind of long grueling tournament. So a lot of teams weren't full full strength but you know no excuses every game counts the same let's start off right away with the water dogs chrome water dogs beat the chrome 10-7 and we have some you know interesting development in terms of strategy with how the water dogs played this game i'll let you get right into it yeah i intentionally stayed off of twitter on saturday um (laughs) avoid avoid all this nonsense but so basically, people who don't know, if you haven't watched the show before, we've talked about it before, the, the PLL decided that a 52-second shot clock needed to be revised after a face-off win. So now it's a 32-second shot clock. 20 seconds cut out of your offense is massive. And the reason is they didn't like the dead time of mass substitutions after a face-off win. You could also argue that they didn't want the dominance of a face-off man to be that big of a game-changer. So... The first couple of weeks, what we noticed is winning a ton of faceoffs doesn't necessarily mean a much of a possession advantage because you're only getting half a shot clock. So the Water Dogs, who were last in the league in faceoff percentage because Jake Withers has been hurt all season, had decided that they're just going to put their pole out there. They're going to force Trevor to clamp, turn, and pop it, and then run up, have to run against a pole up field or throw it back to his goalie. By the time you get your change, you have 19, 18 seconds on the clock. You get some kind of rush, shitty shot, and now you're on offense if you're the Water Dogs. And they ended up winning handily against the Chrome, right, because they were playing against Connor Farrell. And people were asking me before the game, why, do you, why are they doing this? Well, one, because they're not winning faceoffs. Two, the shorter clock. Three, 
they believed that they could expose Connor Farrell and they could chop him up and hopefully get some turnovers. Now, I think unofficially on the sheet, there were 10 turnovers off the faceoff uh, on the Chrome. So, yeah, it worked. And they won. So, people were like, oh my God, you know, not that Lax Twitter is hyperbolic at all. But <laughs> Greg! Greg, what are you going to do? They're getting rid of the face-off position. I'm like, look, you know, I tried to be positive about it. Listen, some of it, yeah, the clock is crazy short. The other side of it, though, Sibes, is as a face-off man, it's your job to figure it out now, right? So if I'm Trevor or Connor or any of the younger face-off guys and I come out there and I see a pole in front of me, Sibes, I would have done unforgivable things. If you, in order, to, if a genie said, I'm going to give you five chances to take faceoffs only against poles for an entire game this season, I'd say, give me my 98% record breaking tattoo right now. Because you are going <laughs> to win every clamp. Now, as far as speed is concerned, you put two shorties on your wing, you drop them all the way back, you dare their wings to cover them. If they cover them, then you Send go them. in and out. Catch it on their left. No pole should be able to stop you. Run right past them. If they all play prevent defense, you pop it in the air to your offensive midi. As he's catching it, you run a 4-2-40 off the field, and you have almost 30 seconds to run an offense. No one's doing that. Everyone's still trying to face off, turn, pop it to yourself. And I was actually talking to Paul on the way down, on the way back up from Jersey this past weekend. And we were sharing, he was sharing the data points with me, you know, saying there's only five points, uh, 5% less goals are being scored than there was at the 52-second shot clock, that there's other things that we have to look at. Like, he's right, an Atlas star-studded defense can't stop the Water Dogs, right? Like, they've given up a lot of goals this year. Um, and then also he was saying, he was making a comment. When we played on the Lizards together, he's like, I feel like, like we used to have Kevin Understein back in the box, Clamp turns, he's sprinting right past me like two ships in a night. Toss it to him, and he goes for a break. Um, but now it's the counterpunch. What's going to happen after you, as a face-off guy, see that they're going to pull you? I mean, you, you know you're going to win the clamp, so you can pop the ball anywhere you want. I would like to see, and I know it's tough with the one practice a week. It's yeah. tough to, to game plan it and throw something in on the fly. I would love to see, if I have my coaching hat on, put your fastest O-Midi on defense. Win it backwards, get possession, throw it to him as he's breaking up field, and look at that. You have someone stay back, and he's walking, going over the midfield line. Why not? Why not? Yeah, that's what I, I mean, that's what we used to do with Einstein. Now, you can do it once or twice. You can't do it every time because as soon as they see you go back, everyone's just going to drop back and let you toss it to them. But, like I said, this is actually very simple. I think it's a, it might be a skill set thing. I don't know if it is, but I really think it's just an experience thing. You know, you haven't seen everything yet. This is a still a pretty young face-off league. You know, Trevor's probably the oldest face-off guy out there, and he's a young buck. So, for me, I had seen everything at that point, so that wouldn't have been an issue, really. Now, the question is, if we do see it, and they do start doing that, is it still enough time? And I, and I think it would be. The 
the thing that you have to remember is that every, for every action, there's a reaction. The water dogs decided to go pull. Okay, they're going to concede the faceoff. I know Coach Presser doesn't like that word, but that's literally what they did. So now the question is going to be, what do you do in, re, in, re, in response to that? And I think there's got to be a couple faceoff guys that step up and do this. It's like, remember when the Wildcat came into football mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it was like, how do you stop this? They have an extra blocker. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you know, a defense figured it out and completely shut it down. Copycat league. Same thing here. If one faceoff guy does what I'm saying right here, shows that you can beat this pretty cleanly. Now, here's another thing people, I hope everyone's listening to. Paul wrote a huge thread on Twitter about all the reasons they're doing this. At the end of the day, he did say, he's like, look, optics-wise, that's still the most important thing. If they don't like it, after they have one full season and they go, look, flat out, this just wasn't a good idea. He's like, I have no problem backtracking and scrapping it and going to 52 seconds. My only request was that if they stick with this, can we get some kind of asterisk for the face-off records? Because there's going to be four guys that go 90% every single game, and then there's going to be four teams that go 0%, and then all my records get blown out of the water within two years. So that's my only request, selfishly. Now, what do you think? Like, do you think that they're, like, they're not going to do three different clocks, right? They're not going to do like a 32, a 42, and a 52. So, like, what do you think the solve should be? What, do you think it's that big of a deal? I still think it's too early to tell. Yeah. I think the Atlas being one and three, with, and we'll get to the Atlas, you know. We can, we, right, let's just move into it. Let's move right into the Atlas cannons. Yeah. The, the cannons blew the doors off the Atlas. They absolutely whooped them. And we talk about it. Trevor is the best face-off guy in professional lacrosse right now. Bar none. He's yep. the best. And... It's it's tough to tell because we're right, we're four games in, we're, we're we're only four games in, but for them being one and three, you know, in, even in college with the eighty second shot clock, if you're winning seventy five percent of your faceoffs, it's really hard to lose the game. It's hard. It is, but it's happened before. We talked about this in the other episode. You know, we the Lizards led the MLL in faceoff percentage for seven years. I don't have seven ranks. Yeah. In fact, we only had like two or three seasons out of those where we were definitively above 500. So this isn't a phenomenon that's never happened before. The question is, is it directly correlated to the short shot clock? And I can see the argument for that. But that doesn't answer the question like, why can't this defense stop people when they're absolute studs over there? I, right? think, you're, I think you're right there. Absolutely. It's not all on facing off. But I do still think, because of the shortened shot clock, is just creating more possessions, which is devaluing the importance of the possession off the faceoff. That that faceoff possession, unless you're winning it forward and starting a break, because of how short the shot clock is, and I'm not saying because you know you have a pull and a D mid or a pull and a transition mid and a faceoff guy on the field. It's it's just simply because how short of a possession it is. And yeah. 20 seconds is a ton of time. And I, I, th- I think we are seeing just that possession is just so much less valuable, which is in turn causing faceoff wins to be a little bit, a little bit less valuable. It's still absolutely valuable. If you're yeah, down by getting, if, if you're getting 30 more possessions a game, but they're only 20 seconds at a time, 
are you really getting 30 more possessions? No, you're getting 15. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a, I totally agree with that part. What I did notice is they never put two O-mids on the wings. And I'm curious to if that's Trevor's decision or if it's Coach Pressler's. If it's Coach Pressler's, then that's weird. Because, look. You know you're, you know you're going to get the ball. Well, you know you're going to get the ball. But also my other thing is I benefited a ton from Joe Spelina being my head coach with the Lizards and saying, you are an expert of this. You lead this unit. And I, with impunity, moved wings in and off, saw reactions, did everything, moved guys. Trevor can do that too. So if you're stopping the best face-off guy in the world from putting the right pieces out there to gain an advantage, you need to reassess the way you're coaching this thing. Right? And, I, and it's just, that's the facts. Trevor's not going to go show you how to put in a defense, but this is the guy, and he knows what he needs. So I'm not saying that's the case, but I would just be shocked if Trevor was wanting to have two mids and they just weren't letting him do it. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. Are the Cannons back? Cannons never, never left, baby. <laughs> they won one <laughs> game last year. They, were, they weren't They already doubled their win total. Waiting. Yo, look, we said it. We said it all offseason. They were like literally seven goals away from being a 500 team last year. I know. And, you know, this year the chemistry is there. I think Holman being the coach and his son being on the offense makes a massive difference. There is um, a leader on that on that team, and, you know, they seem to be having a good time, which is awesome. And also the offense looks great. Why? Ball movement. And we had this conversation – in the offseason, if Lyle got moved, would things look different? And in a Holman offense, it's required that you have a ton of ball movement, and they are spinning that thing. And I think we see the equal distribution, you know, on scoring as well because of it. You know, yes. I think, you know, Marcus Holman, so consistent, still just playing unbelievable. 300th, 300th goal. Congratulations to him. Congratulations. That is awesome. Huge. Huge milestone, and then he's him and Kavanaugh being the older guys. They're bringing the young guys along with them. You know, Asher Nolting's second year, and it's the same with Ryan Drenner. He's a veteran, bringing the younger guys with them. Asher Nolting's a young guy that is having a great season. Guys like Matt Campbell, rookie, having a great year from the midfield. Guy like uh, Jonathan Donville and uh, Chris Islanian. They're playing great lacrosse, and I don't think the casual fan might, you know, turn on a game and be like, oh, you know, Jonathan Donville, you know, scoring a goal or Chris Islanian scoring a goal. Like, who, who's that? But, like, that goes back to how many good lacrosse players there are where given the opportunity, playing in a good offense where the, the rock's spinning, the offense is sharing the ball, these guys are able to blossom and have, you know, the, the great seasons that they're having like they are this year. Yeah, great teams and great uh, chemistry and culture always trumps a great player. And even though they might not have, quote-unquote, star-laden guys yet, they have to become household names, they, that's who they are. I can tell you right now, Brian Holman doesn't want any of his players to be featured anywhere. He wants his team to feel as equals, as equal chess pieces to a bigger match. And they're doing a great job. They also... In that game, they also did the same thing. They decided to tell Bones, they're like, just stand up and push Trevor back. And they went to a conceding the draw style to milk clock and force the Atlas, 
who, look, this could also be one of those things, Sibes, where we say, yeah, it's taken a while to get on offense, but maybe their offense needs a reset. Like, maybe some parts need to move around. Because, if, like we said, In terms you're, of still getting, you're still getting, yeah, the Atlas, I'm sorry, you're still getting 15 more possessions in a game overall. So there has to be something that comes out of that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things going on with the Atlas because they were this close to being the best team in the league last year, and I refuse to believe that a shortened shot clock is the only reason that they're not right now. Uh, you're, you know, you're right. The, the Atlas are sitting at one and three, and I said after, I think, the first week that I wasn't impressed with how they, they played, and the, something just isn't clicking, and on paper – if you just read their roster, they should have blown the doors off the cannons. And that's no disrespect to the cannons. And it's more so just saying, if you, I mean, the, the Atlas starting attack is Teat, Law, and Chris Gray. Right? Like, that is in, insane. They have Brian Costabile, and they have, uh, you know, guys like Xander Dixon, who, who had just had a great college season, and, and he's running out of the box. He's doing well as a rookie. Romar Dennis has been shooting the ball better. Um, he's hitting his twos. That's what they need. Uh, and then they have, you know, guys like Curry, who's really emerging. And then uh, Justin Gutterden got his first uh, appearance of the season this past week. I, I hope he, you know, catches fire, stays in that, that lineup, because I think they need it. And I think that they're doing the right things right now in mixing and matching, you know, personnel. They need something. They need someone who's going to spark it. Yeah. Because and you know the other thing too with that shortened shot clock, you still they you're the team you're playing against us to make a stop, and then all you have you're not getting scored on every time on the first possession of the other team. So, what's going on here? Like all you if you can't make one stop and then get the ball back on an offense, like so yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of things you know. I like I said, I think things need to be tweaked a little bit lineup wise. What do you think about? They're just defense and, and goaltending as a whole. They, they pulled Con Can in this game. And I know we know how competitive he is. We, we've had him on the show. He was one of our first guests. You know, he's an unbelievable player. And he's ultra competitive. I mean, goalies are so hard on themselves as it is. Yeah. Is, that, is that something that, you know, Pressler's doing just to kind of spark the lineup, just change it up? or Look, the, the, the Atlas do have the benefit of having two stud goalies. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of promise there. And, you know, look, it's one of those things where sometimes you just need a change. Yeah. Right? Like a quarterback is getting sacked 18 times and, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, things you throw the backup quarterback in there because you're like, look, man, you're, you're getting killed and it's, let's just get a change in there. And I think that's one of those things. I don't think it's a long-term – disrespect or doubt of Concanon. And I just think it's just, look, we just need to change. we got to try something. Um, and that's what they tried. Do you there's think very that- limited, there's le- very limited things you can do lineup wise on game day. Yeah. Cause you only have 19 guys. Like, what are you going to do? Put Trevor at attack. So, yeah. Do you think the Atlas regret releasing a guy like Cade Van Raphorst? Probably. Right. I mean, would, would you be thinking that right now? I mean, I mean, their defense is great. They have Adler, who's a rookie, or great on paper, right? Adler, who's a rookie. Dude, on ball, Adler is a savage. Mm-hmm. They have Rex Road, and then they have Durkin. So, 
is there a spot in the lineup for Rex Road? Maybe not there, but if you know you're getting scored on, you're getting blitzed, he'd be a great guy to insert into the lineup. Well, here's your que- here's a question for you: Who is the guy who's the who is the great communicator on that close defense? It's got to be Durkin. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think at the end of the day, there's there's some there's a disconnect. Either people aren't listening, or people aren't moving fast enough, or there's some kind of communication breakdown. Um, so that's. You know, like for with the Redwoods, regardless of how a game goes, you never have to worry about that being something that happens because you have Glaze. So I think, you know, that's one of those things to look at. I think it's it's a communication issue on defense. They don't have any confidence right now. And they have to get confidence. And and like you said, they deserve it because they on paper they can hang with anybody. But that's the biggest thing. When you were talking about this kind of thing, like in professional sports. If you don't have, if you're not confident anywhere on the field, it's going to get exposed and crushed. You're absolutely right, and I and I'm I'm not by any means I'm not counting out the Atlas. I think there's plenty of lacrosse in front of them, and I'm sure with the guys on this team, the leadership in that locker room, they're going to figure it out. I think yeah. that they're they're their own biggest uh, cri- uh, own biggest uh, critiques right now. They they want to be better. And I'm sure they will, they, but they do need to figure something out, and, and probably fast. Yeah, I also I'm, I'm also curious from a coaching staff standpoint, um, how is Pressler dealing with this? You know, you you have a, a different coach coming in. He entered a pretty good situation. Is he finding it tougher? I thought he would do a pretty good job because he's dealt with men before. He's coached USA um, successfully, so. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see if, if there's any kind of growing pains with the PLL that he's dealing with right now. Because it's got to be weird. You've never played yeah. these rules. You're playing with the best face, best lacrosse players in the world. Uh, so it's got to be an interesting situation. Let's move on to another team we're probably surprised to see sitting at 1-3, and three, which is the Whip Snakes. They were – it was a – you know, the final score was Archers 15, Whip Snakes 12. It was a closer game than that. I thought that the whips, you know, in the third quarter, it looked like, you know, they were going to take it. Uh, Rambo wasn't playing. Hurts, but, you know, it is what it is. This Archers team was without a ment. You know, he's still nicked up. He's, He's getting healthy. But, man, this Archers team is the real deal. They're the real deal. They, their offense is sick. It's so fun to watch. It's so fun. Mike Sisselberger put the whips in a casket. Mm-hmm. He went eight, like 85%. And he's dialed in right now. He, uh, he's he been a shot in the arm. When you think about the guys who've been on that Archers team all these years so far, they've never had this. They've consistently been one of the worst face-off teams in the league every year. Suddenly, you're giving an offense that we've always talked about 85% of the possessions. <laughs> and it's interesting because Bates was interviewed afterwards and he was like, this just proves that the face-off position is valuable, right? So it's in complete contradiction to the water rush. And I actually tweeted out both teams that dominated on face-offs on Sunday won their games. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not the end of the world face-off-wise. Maybe it was just one game. And it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the whips do now. Because, you know, LaSalle is struggling a little bit. Granted, I think Sisselberger and, and Trev are definitively the top two face-off guys in the league right now. 
and it goes beyond the clamping part. It goes to be able to possess the ball multiple ways, get the ball to your offense quickly without causing turnovers. And this Archers team, man, O'Keefe is blitzkrieging right now. It's it's vintage. It's pretty cool. And with with Ament out, Matt Moore was able to bump down to attack. He lit it up this week. Uh, he was. It's great to see. You know, that's what's great. You know how great these players are. It doesn't matter where they are on the field. They're yeah. going to get theirs. And. You know, you might not think, you know, Moore's producing as much when he's at the midfield, but you bump him down to attack, it's, it's like nothing. You know what I mean? So somebody asked an interesting question on Twitter. They said, when do the Archers decide to move on from Amet? And I remember Dan Arestia responded. He goes, when Amet retires. Yeah, I agree. But, but and I agree with that, but for the sake of entertainment, if you're pumping teams with this kind of firepower and you could get a stud piece in a place you need it if you're the Archers and a Met has been available for, what, six games in three years? There, In my mind, there's only three attackmen and four players that are truly, truly pass-first guys as, as well as having the athleticism, the two-handedness, and the field vision, and the lacrosse IQ. And those three players are Tom Schreiber from the midfield, Pinnell from X, Sowers from X, and Ament from X. You, you can't put a value on that. I know he's not healthy, and it sucks. It really sucks. But those are the players in my mind that they check all of those boxes. They can absolutely undress someone from behind the cage. While they're doing it, they have their head up. They're seeing how the defense is sliding. They know where the second slide's filling in and where the lane's going to be and can put a pass on someone's ear for them to finish. And if no one slides to them, guess what? They can turn the corner and score too. I think that's so valuable. And there's, there's a lot of attackmen, right, who can dodge from X. But only those three in my mind can do it with that ability of consistently beating their man and being a dual threat, but not being afraid to pass the ball and get an assist or even a second assist. Yeah, Grant Ament is like the Kyrie of attackmen. Like, when he's healthy, he's literally unguardable, and he'll shred you. My question, I just like the debate because I, wanted to, I want to see what people think out there. You know, but if I'm Bates, I'm sitting here going, look, when this guy's healthy, he's top 10 in the world. So the question is, is, you know, if we can shred teams without him, why wouldn't, why would we get rid of him? Let's keep him. And then when he's healthy, he goes back into the roster. Uh, but it's interesting because if he's out a couple more games and we keep seeing this, you're going to start to hear those tweets a little bit more often. I just think that more so speaks to how good of a team the 100%. Archers are. That's what I, and that's what you, I think. You see a guy like you know, Connor Fields, who had uber success when he was back with the chaos. Then, right, they bumped him from attack. He wasn't getting his runs, wasn't getting as many touches. He found a home with the Archers. Um, Manny goes away to the Whip Snakes. He finds himself in that kind of lefty wing role. Um, you know, he's sharing it a little bit with O'Keefe, but you know, you see Fields' production 
really jump so far this year. He has 11 goals in four games. That's awesome. And he's stepping up. You know, you have guys from the midfield. You know, Trey LeClaire found himself in a little bit more of a kind of transition defensive midi role, I think, in years past year. Yep. He's back getting way more touches on offense, contributing, stirring the pot, you know, making things happen. He he shoots the shit out of the ball. He he's probably has one of the fastest shots in the league. Guy is a freaking tank, man. Exactly. Absolute so, tank. It it goes back to what I said earlier about given the right opportunity in the right environment, these people these players are gonna shine. Yeah. You know, on well, the other side this this whole thing is about finding the right spot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember in the ML years, there were guys that would sit on the practice roster forever on a team. And all of a sudden they go to another team and they become a star. And it's all chemistry and it's all locker room. And this locker room, like we talked about in the offseason, when guys were retiring and like Ratliff retired and then Manny moved and Holman moved. It was like, you know what, maybe it was just time. Maybe it was just time for this team to have some new faces and a new image and I think their image is different now. It's a little bit more edgy. And I also think that it's not three or four best friends and then the rest of the team, to be honest. I think, no, it's, a lot, I think it's a lot of guys that are all on the same page, and they're young, and they're hungry. And I think it's pretty cool. And like I said, they're getting a ton of touches because of Sisselberg. On the other side of the coin, whips. They were without Rambo. Brad Smith is still injured. Those are two enormous pieces. Dude, two of the those two would start on any team. Exactly. And, you know, are we pressing the panic button yet for the whips, or are we going to see them in championship weekend? You know what we've learned from this league? There is no panic button. Yeah. There's only dead last. <laughs> if you're not dead last, if they, as long as they get Brad Smith and Rambo back, and, and qu- quite honestly, they might get Nardella back, before with two to three games left in the season – they win, they win a couple games, and then they go in the playoffs, and they can be the whips. Yeah. So, now, look, if only four teams made the playoffs, I'd be like, ooh. Like, you got to – it's time to, like, turn things around a bit. But they got plenty of time. No, I agree. I, I hear you there. And I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Let's uh, move on along to our last game of the weekend. Redwoods 13, Chaos 8. Redwoods, another team that I felt maybe – they underperformed a little bit last year. Man, this year they look great. They're sitting at 3-1. and one. Our boy Ryder Garnsey continues to fill the back of the net, find his way on you know, SportsCenter. He is just a man on a mission this year. And the whole team is clicking. You know, Rob Pinnell, I talk about Marcus Holman playing you know, great you know, as, towards maybe the end of his career. Rob Pinnell, man, he looks like he could play another five years. Dude, RP looks awesome, man. And it's interesting because I have been in the situation where you come back to the middle of the season after playing a World Games, and the high of winning is, you know, one of those things where you're like, you know, if you come back and you just won, you're just pumped to play lacrosse because you're just like, I'm a world champion. Now I want to go get another ring. And you have Ryder Garnsey, who's one of those guys where he just watched his old alma mater. He helped them win their first national championship. And he's like, yo, I'm trying to get a ring too now. And look, I honestly think this is the John Grant Jr. effect. I think Jr. coming in, one, he's a phenomenal – I mean, you have to respect him because he's one of the greatest players to ever pick up a stick. But two, 
the proof is in the pudding. His offensive methods work. They've worked everywhere he's gone. And when you're playing with the best players in the world and they're, believe, and they're getting some tips from one of the greatest of all time, there's a reason, to, in my opinion, this is the first time I've ever seen the Redwoods offense look totally confident. Like, everyone's getting theirs. The ball is spinning. It's not dying in anyone's stick. If it is dying in a stick, it's because Garnsey's going to put himself on SportsCenter, and it works every damn time. The defense is playing great, as usual. And they're getting good face, they're getting strong face-off wins from TDTD. TD was absolutely crushing the chaos uh, this weekend. So, you know, I think everything's clicking for the Woods right now. As a, as a former Wood, I'm excited about it. I was just going to ask you, you know, the defense and goaltending is basically the same as when you were there. Offense definitely got, you know, a little bit of a, a makeover. What's different just from your observations? You know, same coach. Um, of this Woods team and then Woods teams have passed? I think in the past, offensive guys weren't quite sure what their role was, right? Our attack, Robbie wasn't there, so we had kind of the Notre Dame attack. We had the Notre Dame defense, which was stout and great. We had Troutman in goal. Jack Kelly is playing world-class Jack Kelly, vintage Jack Kelly right now. You Mm -hmm. can't top that. You know, unless you have Blaze Reardon around, like there's no better goalie in the world than Jack right now. And then he just came off a gold medal performance, and he's feeling really good about himself. So they also have, you know, John Sexton is healthy again, and he's playing like John Sexton. I think offensively, everybody seems to know their role and is very comfortable with it. There was always, it felt like there was like one attack. Man, like they weren't, Jules was trying to figure out where the hell do I fit in on this offense? And then Matt Cavanaugh was, where the hell do I fit in on this offense? And Ryder was still trying to learn to be a professional. Rob Pinnell being at X gives them a calming presence of, okay, that is our quarterback. We play off of that. And because Rob, as you had said earlier, is pass first, how do I make my offense click? And then if nobody covers me, I'm going to make you pay for it. So it's not like it dies in Rob's stick. He catches, and I think he's doing the best job he's ever done in his career of catching and going. And, and that offense seems very comfortable, confident, and they're all getting along. So it's pretty cool. And you're absolutely right. I, I mentioned a few episodes ago how impressed I was with Jules playing that role, playing his role, playing within himself, and not trying to do too much and just yeah. you know, ex- accepting the role of you know, being an initiator. He might not you know, be the guy who you know, buries the ball backside on a dunk like he, you know, or, you know, dice a guy up from the wing like he, you know, was in college or was maybe earlier in his pro career. He's the party starter. He gets the defense moving, and he's playing awesome. I think what's going to make this Redwoods team very, very dangerous and what's going to separate them is if they start getting some contribution from known studs like, I don't think Miles Jones is playing his best lacrosse right now. I don't. I, I don't think Sergio Perkovic. I know Sergio is playing a little bit of a two-way role, but I think the shortened shot clock promotes him. You know, stay on the field. You know, take a run at an offensive midi that's caught on the field, dissect him. You know, unload a two ball. Right. I also will say this though, two sides. Like I had said with Rob playing, with Rob being Rob and John Grant Jr. being the O, OC. It's like. This is not a midfield dodging dominant team. This is a wing and, and from X dominant dodging offense. Mm-hmm. And if we play within that concept, 
there's really not a team that can really slow us down. Because if they do try to slow down the Wings and Rob, that means they have to slough in, and what are you giving up? You're giving up a Miles two-bomb. You're giving up a Sergio two-bomb, or Nakai now doesn't have a slide immediately when he decides to go to the rack. So I think they're playing exactly what they're built for right now, and it shows. And it's like, until you prove you can beat us this way, we're going to keep doing it. And in the chaos on the other side, you know, they're sitting at 2-2, two and two, which is probably more wins that they're used to having at this point of the season. But watching <laughs> this game, I thought they played very frustrated. I thought they were down, and then they started taking some, some shitty shots, really forcing the ball, and, you know, just it just looked frustrated. At times, I saw, you know, a guy like Dane Smith, who all-world player, and I know he just played a shit ton of games in San Diego, but there was times when I saw him, like, he could have had, like, a, a one-more skip to Josh Byrne, who he probably knows is going to finish it, but he hadn't seen the ball in a little bit, and he's like, all right, I'm going to take this 14-yard shot with a guy on my hands, and with Jack Kelly in the cage, it's up and out the other way. Yeah, I think people have to understand, and I'm not saying this is exactly it, but people have to understand the effect of losing a gold medal game after playing seven games in 10 days. And then I give anybody props who just comes straight home and then plays that weekend. I've done it. It sucks. Okay. Especially after losing a gold medal game, you are frustrated. You've had a rough summer and everything that doesn't go your way gets very annoying very quickly. That is a very bad atmosphere for a locker room. Now, like I said, I'm not guaranteeing that's what happened, but that's my experience. And I think you're going to see guys, maybe their body's a little tired. Maybe they're a little frustrated. Maybe they need a little mojo themselves so they take a shot where they, usually they would pass. You also have to remember that they were getting pumped on the face-off stripe. And I was actually surprised because I thought Nick Rellette has been doing a pretty good job this summer. So him, him being taken out right away was kind of shocking to me. But they, here's another thing, too. In the fourth quarter, the Woods decided... To kill time, I guess, they were going to concede some faceoffs. So TD, TD didn't go in for like three or four. And those were some of the those were the main faceoffs that that uh, the Chaos actually got in the fourth quarter. I think they were the only faceoffs they won. And they scored like two or three goals within that period of time. They scored two goals directly off of a faceoff uh, with the wings coming up field. So if they're getting possessions, this offense can do anything. But I do think there's a little bit of a fatigue and frustration factor this first weekend after coming back from the Worlds. Yeah, you make a really good point. And I'm sure, you know, I think Coach Towers is one of the more passionate coaches in the PLL. And I know, right, some people think it's for the camera and for the for the clips. But I, I know he cares about those guys and really cares about winning. Yeah. So he's he's I'm, all he's the same way on in camera as he is off. <laughs> he's <laughs> nothing fake about that guy. Absolutely. And I think that he's going to, you know, get these guys on the right track. You know, there which let's go right into next week in yeah. Fairfield, which is a super cool venue. It's another smaller venue um for the POL, but I mean such a hotbed area for lacrosse. Uh, we talk about our boy Dan Aresti. He's been tweeting up a storm about, you know, Connecticut lacrosse, Connecticut lacrosse. He loves it. So I'm sure he'll be boots on the ground. If you see him, make sure you say what up to him. He's buying very hard for the Connecticut chaos. That's what he wants. Oh, that's what it is. 
But so, I mean, Fairfield, cool stadium. It's definitely on the smaller side. It's similar to Peter Barton in, in Denver. And uh, what's Gorgeous, called? Though. Gorgeous. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it's new, actually. The first, fun fact, first game ever at, I forget, I think it's called Raftery Stadium. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, first game ever, the opening day of that stadium was my freshman year at Villanova. And we played Fairfield at Fairfield. And they beat the piss out of us. <laughs> they cut they, they cut the ribbon and then just proceeded to pump us. And the way the stadium is, I don't know if you've ever been there, they have these townhouses up behind the bleachers. And so people, you know, students don't go into the game. They get a keg and they sit up behind the fence, which is above the bleachers in these townhouse area. And they, it's right behind the benches, so they're screaming at us the whole game. And... I remember this is a funny story before the game we didn't had we hadn't had many games televised on ESPN that year and our coach said to us before the game listen this game's going to be on ESPN you know watch your mouth don't do anything stupid uh, um, totally threw you guys off not doing stupid stuff and and it gets to a point Fairfield's killing us and these students are yelling, 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 hey, 17, this kid on our team who – I don't know how they picked him, but they knew they, – he, they picked the right guy because the kid was an absolute hothead. And he turns around, hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and our coach just stares down at the end of the bench. And just, yeah. It was bad. Nothing but, good's going to come of that. Oh, yeah. yeah but Yeah, it's, it's Fairfield is a gorgeous stadium. In 2016, we actually had the ML semifinals there. And – we played against the uh, Denver Outlaws, and, and Tommy Kelly at the time was facing off for them. And we took like, phew, we took like, there was a barrage of goals early in the game, and we were both using, um, I was using the, the original blade, and I was using a black one. And after like the sixth or seventh faceoff on the field, the temperature was over 130 degrees, that the string holes on one of my sticks was melting. Oh my God. And I had to start swapping heads in an ice bucket to try to get through the game and guys were dropping like flies so that heat that turf if it's hot out dude that you'll see the radiation of heat on television man it gets warm so we'll start with i was going to start with the chaos because we just finished with them but let's actually go chronological order we got friday night lacrosse which is awesome i love the friday saturday schedule much more than the saturday sunday so we have friday 6 p.m Water Dogs versus Whip Snakes. Two teams that are trending different directions right now. Um, you know, I look at this game. I look at the Water Dogs. We, we kind of, you know, we, we glanced over some individual performances. I think the Water Dogs, guys like Jake Carraway, who was, you know, found a new home. He's playing awesome. Guys like, you know, the, then the, the known names, right? You got Ethan Walker, who's playing awesome. Courier. They definitely don't have this you know championship hangover that you know maybe we, we saw coming out of the gates out of the gates they were a little slow they won some but you know Connor Kelly is really coming out as a, a leader of this team and, and turning himself into just a, a veteran of, of this sport and a just household name if he wasn't yeah. already yeah and McArdle like there's mm-hmm. Everybody's clicking right now. I'm going to be interested to see if they go back to Goldbrick and they just say we're going to go with a poll on faceoffs again, and we're going to sit back, we're going to drop in. And Petey Lasala was a stand-up neutral grip, all-American faceoff man for Virginia, 
if he employs some of these tactics, I feel like he could have a lot of success. He's fast and he's great with his stick. Getting the ball out forward and running past the pole is something that Petey is actually built for. And then, you know, I think we'll, we'll see. Are we going to get Rambo back? I think we'll get Rambo back after the Worlds. I think he's had a, he's had a, a week of rest. Um, and then I also think, you know, hopefully we'll get Smith back at some point because I'd love to see the Whip Snakes at, at, at full strength. But, you know, it'll be interesting. What do you, you think is going to happen? I think it's going to be a close game, which is such a cop-out to say because all these games are close games for the most part. Um, I think the – I don't know what the line is. I don't have it up in front of me. But I think the Whip Snakes, I'm assuming, will be underdogs. I think they're going to win. Yeah. I think they're going to win. I think the Whip Snakes are going to really bear down. They know, you know, they're probably on the – they know they're on a downswing. They need a get-right game. I think Burnlore might steal one. I don't think it's going to be a decisive victory. I think it's going to be, you know, come down a couple plays, and I think ultimately Burnlore is going to, you know, make more saves and and let them win the game. I think that it'll be – very dependent on what happens on faceoffs, but I could see the Water Dogs covering in this game. I think they're playing with a ton of confidence. I think they have found something that they think works on the faceoff thing, and they all seem to be on board with it. They're getting very strong defensive play, and their offense seems to be clicking, and everybody's healthy. And I think uh, that's huge in this league. So yeah, I could see I could see the Water Dogs winning by two. Okay. And do you think – so, okay. Do you think they're going to keep Ward in the game playing goalie? I know they, they tried DeLuca out a couple of weeks ago before Worlds. Ward pulled himself. Um, you see you see that being an issue? No. Just, no. I okay. think both of those goalies are professionals. Both of them are ready to go, and they're both very, very good. I think right. they have an embarrassment of riches at that position. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter to me who they play with. That I think they're going to do a, well, a good job. Love it. Let's move right along to the next Friday night game, 8.30 p.m., Archers versus Redwoods, battle of two 3-1 teams. Honestly, I think this could be a preview of the championship. Or, excuse me, are the Redwoods? The Redwoods might be 2-2. Two two. I might have Nope, they're 3-1. and one. No, the Woods are third, I think. Yep, 3-1. and one. I think this could be a preview of the championship game. I think both teams, we talked about it in the recap, both teams are clicking on all cylinders. Both teams' offense are so fun to watch for me You know, as a consumer of the game right now. I think having these two teams on TV is just, it's fun for everyone. And with guys playing with such creativity, you know, we saw last week Tommy Schreiber was having, you know, Turnaround, wraparound goals. I don't even know what you want to call it. Behind the back, behind the <laughs> ankle. I don't even know what it's called. But And then Ryder, we talk about him every week. You know, he's finding new ways to score. And I think this is going to be a high, high-scoring game. I don't know what the total is. And I know we talked about how well Jack Kelly's playing. I just think Jack Kelly can save 50%. The Archers are still going to score 15 goals. That's just, you know. The way this league is, the way the game's played, how many possessions there are, how much offense is generated. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game, very fun to watch. I think if you're going to watch any game this weekend, this is the game to tune into. If you want to talk about parity in a league, I'm looking at DraftKings right now. Every game is a a one-and-a-half spread, and three of the four games are 23-and-a-half OUs, with the Chrome and Cannons being 24-and-a-half. Does that tell you? I mean, what does that tell you? That's crazy. So, 
Yeah, I, the red, the the woods are, um, they're dogs by one and a half. And What's the juice I feel, on the dog? Is it like plus one and a half minus one fifty? Yeah, redwoods are plus one and a half. But what's like the what's the minus what? Oh, minus one forty five. One forty five. So yeah, you, gotta you, lay a you bet for the woods to cover. It's a minus one forty five bet. Yeah, you got to lay a little. What? So what? The woods money line must be what? Like plus one hundred. The woods money line is plus one hundred. Yep. No. Nope. Okay, so, so they're 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 underdogs by a hair. You call it? Yeah. I think I'm excited to see Sisselberger versus TD. Um, I give I give Sisselberg. I think really whoever does better in this matchup is probably going to get that second All Star spot. And these two have never faced each other before, right? No. Uh, cool. I do. I'm going to give a slight advantage to Sisselberger, though. I think he's ready for this. Uh, I think his stance, his style, is really good. And I also I like the way the Archers' wings are playing. Um, it'll be good to see a faceoff matchup. But <laughs> yes. I, you know, I think the Woods will cover. I think the the Woods will get – I think it'll be a one-goal game. I still think the Archers will probably win, but I think it's going to be a one-goal game. I'm going with the Woods. I think they're just having fun watching them play, and I think what the Archers' offense um, – they have Schreiber as their kind of veteran leader, and the Woods have Pinnell. And I think having Pinnell on the field the whole game – not saying it's just a little bit more of an edge than Schreiber kind of coming off the ball out of the box every possession, right? Yeah. Having, you know, there might be a possession that's, you know, bang, bang, quick, and Schreiber doesn't have a chance to sub out there. You know, yeah. more or less every possession, Pinnell is touching the ball. And I think that slight difference makes a world of difference in a, in a game like this. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. You know, the healthiest team is always the one going to be going on a run in this league. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's going to be a one-goal game, and I'm taking the Woods to cover. So it'll be a it'll be a fun Friday night. We're going to be in for a treat. Pizza night in the Grandland household, am I right? Well, we'll see. We're going to be in Avalon. All right. So, yeah, if there's a good pizza, you never know. We might go pizza night Friday night. <laughs> Moving on to Saturday, 6 p.m., we have – Chrome, who are sitting at one and three, versus the Cannons, who are sitting at two and two. Both teams, uh, I think, want the. I mean, I, that's a bad, stupid thing to say. Everyone wants to win, but I think, I think the Chrome, as a fan, I, it's tough watching them this year so far. I think that they haven't got their feet under them yet. I think they they're really messing around with the lineup, you know, getting guys in, trying to find it, and they haven't yet. Yeah, I think when you start with beginning of the game, face-off wise, I think the Cannons are going to come into this game and they're going to they're going to see what the Water Dogs did last week. I think there's a very good chance they don't dress a face-off guy. Wow! And they go to the Chrome and they say, "Look, we saw what happened last week. You had ten turnovers off of the face-off. We're gonna we're gonna beat you up on it." I think the Cannons are also like we talked about earlier. They are exact. They are flowing while the ca- the Chrome are ebbing. And I think plus it, it minus one and a half for the cannons, and you're getting plus one twenty five. I feel like this is a very solid bet. Okay. It's a very good value bet. I like it. I think that's a good call. I think if you any chance to get plus odds is is gravy. So I'm actually going to bet on that now before uh, it changes. 
before the episode releases and the odds swing. Yeah, you know the effect we have. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I – to your point about seeing the cannon, seeing what uh, the Water Dogs did to the Chrome, I want that strategy to burn a team. So then it's like, all right, this isn't the, you know, the cure-all to batting a team with a better face-off guy than us. I want it to burn a team. I don't yeah, want you to look, man. Me too. Like, I don't want you to lose your bet, though. But, but you know, like I said, when I was talking to Paul the other day, you know, he was saying, like, let's see the counterpunch now. And he was saying, like, there are ways to be at this. And, I, and I've told all of my FOA guys that are in the league, I'm like, this is the way you beat this. And I've broken it down. And the problem, not the problem, the thing is that everybody believes that this is going to get rid of the face-off position. I think it's the opposite. I think it's going to put higher value on guys who are experts at the entire position. Not just guys that can clamp. I think guys that can strategize, use their wings and spacing, have the skill set to stand up, get the ball out quick, and then have the wheels and athleticism to take it to the rack. I bet you Joe Nardell is sitting at home right now going, let's go, let me get in there and show you I can beat this. Because um, I think guys that are fast and guys that are athletic who can handle the ball – I think the premium is going to go all the way to the top when it comes to draft day. Who can do those things? Because that's the only space for room for face-off guys in this league now are guys who can do that. You hit the nail on the head because it, it, it's emphasizing, which I think a lot of coaches, and I'm sure you have for years, which is you can be the best clamper in the world, but if you can't do anything with the ball afterwards, you're, you're useless. You're useless. So and, and if you don't have a shot clock or if there's an 80-second or a 52-second shot clock, you can get away with it. But when there's 32 seconds and you have to be decisive and athletic and good with the stick and protect it, there's going to be a very small percentage of guys right now. And I think people are complaining because, oh, this is going to get rid of face-offs. No, it's just going to get rid of the very good face-off guys at the pro level, which it should be. It should be the best two or three guys. And, you know, that's, that's what we're going to get. So, you know, I think in this, in this, like, for instance, the Atlas game, there's a very good chance I could see the chaos taking an attackman and going, I mean, taking a long pull and going out there. And I think, you know, Trevor will have to demonstrate that he has control over the unit. He can use offensive middies, and he can use his spacing and technique. And if that happens and he burns them for a couple goals and they score, I don't know, 12 or 16% of their first possessions – then people are going to be like, all right, non-issue. You just got to be like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, going towards that Atlas-Chaos game, Atlas are 1-3, and three, Chaos are 2-2. Two and two. I don't – What are, do you still have the odds up? I would put the, the Atlas as, as favorites in this game, even yeah, though they – The Atlas are one-and-a-half point favorites. Yeah, that but makes sense. that is a plus-120 bet. If they win by two, that's a plus-120 Hammer bet. that. Um, that's what I'm – that's my best you bet of so? the week. Atlas See, minus my, one my best bet of the week is I think the K and, and this is completely dependent on what happens with the wing play and all that stuff. The chaos have very good LSMs. Do you tell one of them you're going to go out there? You're going to take all the draws. Now, if they if they trot out Rat well, or Adler. Speaking of CJ Costabile has taken a lot of faceoffs in his career. Yeah, too bad, too bad Scotty isn't on. <laughs> but that's exactly who I'm thinking. Yeah, and. 
the problem with CJ though is CJ can win a faceoff. Yeah. So can, is he down with just standing up and and creating prevent defense? Um, but if the chaos trot out a pole, I see them covering. If the chaos trot out Rallet or Adler, I can see the Atlas covering because that is that is something that the Atlas haven't proven they can beat yet. If and anyone's going to throw a kitchen sink at Trevor, it's going to be Towers. I agree. But also, Andy is, Andy is a player's coach, and he makes sure damn well that everybody in that locker room knows he believes in them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that plays into his decision on this or not. Like, you don't want to lose Adler, right, and be like, we're going without a face-off guy this week strategically just for this team. Do you lose your, your face-off? Do they lose their minds and now, and now their confidence is crushed? I don't know. But if you want to win this game – you're not going to beat Trevor on faceoffs. So can you make him go back and just do it all game because the Atlas haven't proven it? Because you look at these two offenses, the way they're playing, if they're given equal chances, the chaos can shred this Atlas defense the way they've been playing. Yeah, I think I, you make great points, and I, and I agree with all of them. I just think just from what I saw last week, in terms of the chaos offense, I know you know every week's a new week, and I know the Atlas defense hasn't been playing as well as they can. I think the Atlas are going to tighten up on defense, and I think my favorite bet of the week is Atlas minus one and a half. Okay, just their offense. I think you know that starting attack is one of is one of if not the best starting attack in the league. And I totally agree. They all just, comp- you know- they all complement each other. It's not like they have players getting in each other's way, right? They have. <laughs> My yep. prediction, strictly for this bet, is that the Chaos are going to use a pull. Okay. They're going to force you back. And I believe, like, this Chaos team will do whatever Andy tells them. They're very disciplined. And then I don't know if the Atlas are going to give Trevor the full keys to put whatever wings he wants out there. And I think that at the very least, the Chaos will hang in there and it'll be a one-goal game. I would love to see the Atlas wake up all of a sudden beat this whole prevent defense, and then their offense clicks. Because then we got a whole different atlas to watch, which is so cool for the fans. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if it's going to happen this week. All right, well, that wraps up our preview for this coming up weekend, games in Fairfield, Connecticut. Make sure you're tuning in. If you're in the area, be sure to check it out. That's going to be a really cool atmosphere to watch up close and personal to all these PLL games. Be sure to tune in through the rest of the season. We have some exciting stuff coming up in terms of interviews. We have uh, we mentioned Lars Keel. We have you know Casey Powell on the schedule. We're going to get him on, and many more guests. We have you know All Star Game breakdown previews. You know we have a new iteration of the All Star Game this year that's going to be really cool to talk to talk to and talk about as it gets closer. Um, but yeah, man, we have we just covered a lot. We played catch up. We took a week off, and man, we had a lot to cover. And uh, we got a lot more coming down the pipe. So nothing but good things in the world of lacrosse. Oh, love it. Everybody have an awesome week. Have a great pizza night. When you guys are telling us what you're having, make sure you at Rise Up on, on Twitter. And uh, we will get back to you because we, we're going to be judging some pies because people are coming up with some pretty cool pies. And, and to that point, let's shout out our boy Shane, who's taken over our Twitter. He's done a fantastic job yes. engaging with you all. Make sure tweet at him any and all opinions. He'll get back to you. Uh, sometimes he consults with us, sometimes he goes rogue, but that's why we love him. He's going to keep doing his thing, and he knows what he's talking about, so he'll battle any and all of you. But make sure if you're listening, 
Subscribe, download Apple, Spotify, leave a review, tweet at us. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to Rise Up, excuse me, Torch Pro's YouTube channel. And man, that is episode 36. See you guys next week. Enjoy the weekend. To the moon.